Well, if you told me before that game that UCF was going to beat Stanford 45-27, to I would have said, yeah, yeah, that, that seems about right. So now Stanford's 1-2. and two. Now what? Let's talk about it here on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Wednesday, September the 18th, 2019. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a good week so far, and hope it all leads up to a victorious week for Stanford coming up on Saturday against the Oregon Ducks. But right now we need to uh, put things uh, that happened against UCF to bed, and we're glad that you're here with us. I'm in Detroit Clarity. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity, last misspelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And if you have not done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the TreeCast on Apple Podcasts. And on Google Play, Google Play now distributing the TreeCast, so we're glad that they are on board too. So no matter how you get your podcast, chances are pretty good that the TreeCast with Troy Clarity is available to you. We're going to go over just where Stanford stands right now, and we're going to hear a lot from David Shaw, the head coach of the Stanford Cardinal, get some of his thoughts on some of the pressing issues surrounding Stanford football right now. And in case you missed it, uh, last Saturday down in Orlando, game kicked off at uh, 12.36 p.m. uh, Pacific Standard, Pacific Daylight Time between Stanford and UCF. It was pretty much over by 1 o'clock, quite honestly. It it was over pretty quickly, and I think the tone was pretty much set. First series on offense and first series on defense of the game. Stanford took the opening kickoff and went 3-and-out and out pretty quickly. UCF got the ball. Had a third and five, but then J.J. Parson and Kendall Williamson missed a tackle on the same guy at the same time at the line of scrimmage. That moved the chains. Next play, Stanford defensive lineman Jovan Swan kicked out of the game for targeting. Targeting. His day done after just four plays. So a critical, critical member of Stanford's defensive line. Already done for targeting. Later in the drive, 3rd and 15, UCF converts. 3rd and 15! And then there was a touchdown on the next play for UCF, and pretty much the tone was set from there. UCF ahead 28-7 after one quarter, 38-7 at the half, and on route to a 45-27 win over the Cardinal. K.J. Costello back in the mix after missing the USC game, but was not his most accurate. 21-44 21-44 on the day. Kind of seems weird in this day and age to see quarterbacks not completing more than 50% of their passes. Heck, it seems like a lot of quarterbacks complete 60, 70, and sometimes 80% of their passes, especially against the Cardinal. But it didn't quite work out for K.J. Costello. Uh, the makeshift offensive line, partially to blame, but K.J. missed a bunch of throws. He was not at his most accurate uh, throughout the course of that UCF game. So that's pretty much what you might have missed when Stanford faced UCF. So what's happening right now with the Cardinal? That's why we need to get you the three things that you need to know right now about Stanford football. So that means we start with number And as usual, we begin by updating the injury picture for the Stanford Cardinal. And once again, as usual, we begin by talking about The big guys up front, the offensive line, so critical to the success of the Stanford Cardinal this and 
pretty much every year, and it just hasn't fallen Stanford's way for the most part so far this season. Now, Foster Sorrell and Dylan Powell, Sorrell the tackle, Dylan Powell the offensive uh, interior lineman who has not played yet so far this year, Branson Bragg uh, played, got the start against UCF at right tackle, didn't even last the first quarter until he got hurt and was later carted off from the sideline to the locker room. Andrew Pritz injured in the second half. Boy, the inside linebacking core is just almost down to nothing. So Sorrell and Powell and Pritz, three key guys for Stanford. Hey, David Shaw, how are those guys looking right now? Foster Sorrell was able to move around, didn't practice last night, but went through some drills, and we'll see how he is today. Um, uh, Dylan Powell as well. Uh, he was able to get into practice a little bit for the first time in a couple of weeks. Uh, both those guys, we'll see how they're doing, and not only if they're just healthy enough, but uh, if they can go out there and perform. Um, the guys that have stepped in have, have done admirably. Um, so we'll see who's the most fit to go in there and play on the offensive line this week. So that'll be um, probably won't be a Friday decision, probably be a Wednesday or Thursday decision once we see what these guys can do. Um, Andrew Pritz kind of on that same playing a little bit. Thankfully, the injury wasn't as bad as we initially had feared. Um, but we'll see. We have to see how he's able to move around the next couple days. See if he's able to go back out there and play for us. That's David Shaw at the Tuesday press conference updating us on the health of Foster Sorrell, Dylan Powell, and Andrew Pritz. And that, that's encouraging. That, that's certainly encouraging. Now, we'll add to that that later on, Coach Shaw noted that Branson Bragg uh, that his status was unsure. They just were not sure about whether it was a long-term thing, a short-term thing, as far as his injury from uh, the UCF game last week. So uh, still a lot up in the air, it seems, about Branson Bragg. But possibilities that we might see Foster Sorrell and Dylan Powell back on the line, and that we might see Andrew Pritz, which would be certainly welcome, because right now the uh, inside linebacking core for Stanford is Curtis Robinson, and Tristan Saint is Tristan Sinclair. And that's it. That's it. All right, now let's go on to number two. Boy, Stanford's defensive woes continue. We, we hinted at it uh, in our quick recap of the game as UCF completed and converted a third and 15 on route to their first touchdown of the game. And it really, really did not get any better from there. Stanford's defense has, has fallen off a cliff, quite honestly. You know it. Defense knows it. David Shaw knows it, too. Um, in three games, we've given up 18 plays of 20 yards or more. Um, that's, that's, that's not us. It's unacceptable. Um, we've missed tackles. We've missed alignments. Um, you know, we've, we've let receivers run free. Um, and especially this past, this past two games, um, at SC and, U- and Central Florida, you've got uh, wide receivers that can really run, and we're just letting them run. Um, so we need to be on top. We need to play top-down defense. Um, if we're going to press, we need to press uh, and be physical with the guys. Um, you know, that's what we did all the way through training camp, what we've done here over the years. And um, two games with two bad games in a row. As David Shaw, and he's right, it is unacceptable. And it needs to get better quick, fast, and in a hurry. The numbers on the Stanford defense, especially the last two weeks, are not good. The last two quarterbacks they've faced, USC's Keaton Slovis and UCF's Dylan Gabriel, their combined stat line against the Cardinal, 50 of 63. 
for 724 yards, seven touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a 79.3% completion percentage. And those completions are averaging 14 and a half yards per. In the Pac-12 rankings, Stanford defense next to last in the conference in scoring defense, pass defense, pass efficiency defense, and third down conversions. They can't get off the field and they can't stop other teams from passing the ball. Only Arizona is worse than Stanford in all of those respective categories. So, look, in football, many times, numbers lie, right? Numbers lie so many times in football. And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of people base everything they know on fo- about football or everything they think they know about football on just the stats. But sometimes, numbers tell the truth. And the truth of the matter is that Stanford's defense the last two weeks... It's not been very good at all. Two things down. That means we need to get to thing number three. All right, how about some positives from the UCF result? Granted, there aren't that many, but they're out there. One of those positives, the Stanford running game looked as cohesive as I can remember it looking. The blocking looked pretty good. I asked David Shaw what his assessment of Stanford's running game against UCF would be? Can't say great, but I would say good um, and, and, and feel good about our performance in the running game. We weren't able to stick with it as long as we'd like to, um, but we continued to mix it in. I think we still had um, uh, two or three explosive runs, um, you know, a couple by Cam and, and uh, one by Austin Jones. Um, so uh, I like where we are up front, even with I mean, the entire game, we had minimum two freshmen on the field. Uh, uh, and um, I think those guys comported themselves very well. Yeah, that sounds about right. Good, but not great. Running backs for Stanford, 20 carries for 113 yards. Pretty good. Pretty good overall. And as well as the rushing game looked for much of that contest, man, I just kind of wish that, that, that Stanford had run it on that third and one, on Stanford's second offensive possession of the game, uh, when they're down 7 nothing, I just wish that Stanford had run the ball on that third and one situation instead of going shotgun, throwing, and having it picked off and taken back to the one-yard line. Would have been nice, I think, to show that running game on third and one. And who knows how that might have changed the game. But still, overall, no major complaints with how things went with Stanford's running game against UCF. Those are three things. Running game was one positive for Stanford against UCF. Here's another one. Stanford didn't lay down. They didn't roll over. They didn't quit. They They didn't fold like a tortilla. They were able to stay in it. They played better. And they slowed UCF down. And they started to to make some bigger plays themselves. Stanford played better in the second half when they were down by 31, when a lot of teams would have just quit. Stanford didn't do that. Now, I'll give the team kudos for playing better in the second half. Those kudos will not necessarily be extended from David Shaw. There's no pats on the back for, you know, winning a half. You know, people try to say it was great. You know, we played so much better in the second half. Well, yeah, we did, but we're so far behind that it didn't matter. Um, the idea, though, is to play like that the entire game. I mean, yeah, he is right. 
he, he is correct. It would have been nice to see Stanford play that way in the second half for the full 60 minutes of the game. That certainly would have helped the result be better uh, in the Cardinals' perspective. But, you know, and, and I think that, that maybe Stanford was certainly helped out because, look, talking to a couple of people who were at the game in Orlando, first half, Spectrum Stadium was rocking, man. Place was off the hook in the first half. In the second half, that crowd cleared out, and the stadium was only about half full. And I think UCF kind of deflated a little bit because of that lack of energy from the stands. Now, I'm still going to give Stanford credit for playing better, but I also think they had a little bit of help from UCF, as UCF kind of seemed to let their foot off the gas just a little bit and not play with as much intensity as they did in the first half and with as much energy as they did in the first half. Stanford, meanwhile, did not quit. The effort was still there, even when they knew that the result was not was likely not going to be there for them. The effort really didn't wane at any point. Borne out by, man, what a touchdown grab that was by Michael Wilson, just snatching it over the defender in the end zone. And then the scoop and score by Jonathan McGill in the fourth quarter to close out the scoring. So Stanford was still out there trying to get it done. Trying to get it done. David Shaw might not necessarily be handing out pats on the backs and congratulations about all that, but I will. I will. One of the main subplots for Stanford this season has been depth on the offensive line. We talked about this in the first TreeCast of the year, about how Stanford needed to stay healthy, especially on the offensive line. That was going to be the major key for the Cardinal, and the likely difference between Stanford doing some big things or merely some good things, or if the injury situation didn't pan out at all, some not-so-good things. So what's happened since? Well, Walker Little, out for the year. Foster Sorrell, missed the game last week. And the offensive line has just been, been a shell of itself from a personnel standpoint. And only freshmen to turn to, true freshmen to turn to. Walter Rouse, Barrett Miller, Branson Bragg. Uh, Drake Nugent hasn't received any play yet, but he's popped up on the depth chart. Jake Hornerbrook. Guys that that haven't even been to class yet, as school doesn't begin until next week, are out there on the football field and, and in key and critical roles. How did this happen? How did Stanford's offensive line reach the point where, behind the starters, there was zero experience to be had? How did it get here? I know some of you have asked this very question, and I've been curious about it too. I'm going to play you this entire sequence. It runs about three minutes or so, so hang in there through this. It runs about three minutes. David Shaw was pretty much asked that question. Um, how did the offensive line get to be so thin and so short on experience? And it was Jacob Rayburn from Rivals.com uh, leading the charge here. You'll hear, you'll hear a follow-up question from him. Uh, throughout the course of, uh, of David Shaw's answers. So Jacob Rayburn on the scene here. But, but here's David Shaw's full 
unedited three-minute answer on why the Stanford offensive line just doesn't have the depth behind it that it normally does. We had a kind of a, an un, unfortunate um, recruiting class one year to where um, um, we brought in uh, Trey Stratford uh, and he's been injured. I mean, he would be providing such great depth inside, smart, athletic, could play any of the inside three positions, and need be, if need be, could play tackles, what he played in high school. Um, his injury status has been has been difficult uh, on this on the uh, on the depth there because he was the one guy we brought in that year and we're excited about him too but he hasn't had had a chance to play um, and uh, uh, we had a an, an, another you know two or three guys over the last couple of years that have either grad transferred or uh, medically retired from football so those are the things that you can't anticipate and when you're at a high academic institution like this, you don't just dip into the transfer portal because um, there's a high percentage of the guys in the transfer portal that need not even apply to get to school here. Um, there's a small percentage of guys that could even have a chance. Um, so where other teams are able to um, rebound quickly from early departures, et cetera, um, we can't. So for us, it's about recruiting. Um, it's about developing our guys. Um, I think we're, uh, like I said, I love this class here. Um, we're making some really good inroads in the next two classes that I feel really good about, uh, very excited about, um, to make sure that we have the depth that we need. Uh, and then on top of that, um, when you recruit as well as we've recruited, you also have to anticipate you're going to lose one or two guys early, right? Um, uh, Walker's situation's changed now, but he was one of those that was looking like most likely he was going to could go be a first-round pick. Um, so as you push and recruit and develop, you also have to say, okay, we're okay numbers-wise, but we may have a grad transfer and a guy leave early for the NFL, and if we get a guy hurt that's not going to stop play football, that's three spots that are hard to come up with. Um, so for us, it's about managing that position. I think we're, we're in a really good position right now. Um, both uh, the freshmen we have now and the next two classes, we should be able to shore up, uh, make sure we have the numbers that we need. What's the ideal number that you want to have in that room? A lot. Um, and honestly, the, the number 15, 16, um, somewhere around there. Uh, we've also been pretty fortunate the last couple classes also to bring in some non-scholarship guys that are scholarship borderline really close um, so they're not just guys that are coming in just to help us with practice, but guys that are really competing to get on the field. Um, I think I, I commend our coaches for looking for those guys also that are those guys that are, are they Division One? Gosh, they're really close, but you get them in, they get a couple of off-seasons in, they get stronger, they, they learn what to do, and those guys can come in and help you. So, um, like I said, I think we're, we're in a much better position now than we were a year ago, um, and I think we have a good plan going forward. That's David Shaw, and, and yeah, you know, it's – it doesn't seem like it was that long ago when the Cardinal almost literally had more offensive linemen than they knew what to do with. So they could roll out those seven offensive linemen sets. The ogre, as they called it. Can't run ogre anymore because you don't have five you don't have seven offensive linemen that are healthy enough. You barely have five. And I, I I've heard the sentiment that the coaches need to 
be called out on the carpet for the recruiting failures on the offensive line. No, it hasn't panned out up front. However, maybe other people's definitions of failure differ from mine, but it's kind of hard for me to consider it a recruiting failure when a kid retires from football for medical reasons a couple of years into his career. Hard for me to consider that a failure on the coach's part. I mean, a failure to me is if the coaches bring in a kid who doesn't live up to his end of the deal, doesn't do what he needs to do on the field or in the classroom or representing representing the program on and off the field. That's a recruiting failure. And if the coach brings him out there and they're just not doing the right things with him, that's a recruiting failure too. I don't think either of those things necessarily apply to what we've seen with the offensive line for Stanford. Now, is the depth there? No. No, it's not. But to put this all at the feet of the coaches and the recruiting efforts and all those sorts of things, look, recruiting is such a crapshoot anyway. Major crapshoot. And as mentioned, Stanford just can't, you know, David Shaw said, you know, you can't just just reach into the grad transfer portal and solve all your problems there. And out of the school like Stanford, that just does not happen. It cannot happen. As Shaw himself said it, you know what? A lot of those kids in the grad transfer portal, they need not apply. Because chances are pretty strong that they ain't getting through door number one. So that's why retention is so much more critical for Stanford from a recruiting standpoint. And when they don't get that retention for whatever reason, positive or negative, it hurts. It hurts. So given all of this, we're three games into the season. A quarter of the season is done. Hard as it might be to believe, but but we're a quarter of the season gone. Given that, I asked David Shaw what, what he knows about this team now that he might not necessarily have known coming into the season. Uh, it's hard to answer that question generally um, because there's some specifics that I don't think I, I would say right now, but I think I know... I know our strengths a little bit better now than I knew going in with so many guys that um, had great training camps that maybe are playing pretty well, not as great as we had hoped, but then some guys that I think young guys in particular that were learning that showed promise that we weren't sure if they're ready. And now we, we've played a couple games and say, you know, these guys are ready. And as you talk about and Austin Jones being able to play a little bit more and uh, Jonathan McGill playing a little bit more and Caillou Kelly playing a little bit more and there's multiple guys on special teams um, that are doing a really good job for us. Elijah Higgins, um, you know, so we've, we've got some younger guys that we weren't sure about if they were really ready and guys have come to play. Bryson Tremaine um, has done a great job on special teams coming and played some snaps on the offensive side. So um, it's, it's still not completely formed in my mind because I think we're continually continuing to uh, compete every single day and every single practice and every single game. But I think we have a better idea of who those guys are that are going to play a lot for us and what roles they can perform in. 
which is what you always have when you have a, a lot of going to a season like this with some veterans that you know about, right? Costello and um, Two Hill and those guys that you know are going to perform at a level, and now other guys that are either ascending or maybe leveling off that we need to continue to push and, and, uh, and help develop. It's part of the evolution of the year where the coaches try to expand on the new strengths that they may have found over the last couple of weeks and try to shore up the weaknesses that they may have found. Weaknesses that they might not have necessarily counted on being there and trying to make those better going forward. And that means getting young guys a chance. And that means seeing how they respond in their new roles. And guys have shown promise. Austin Jones comes to mind. Walter Rouse, you know, again, he hasn't looked like Jonathan Ogden, but he hasn't been a liability either. And you hope that they start to continue to trend upwards. And you hope that, well, you hope that they all stay healthy. <laughs> Maybe that's the biggest thing of all, but you, you, you just hope that by the time the end of October rolls around, that this team is trending upwards and heading in the right direction and perhaps uh, be in, in the mix to, to be able to do some things in the Pac-12 North. That's still possible. It's still possible, by the way. It's still very much on the table. The season is not over, right? You have nine games left. Tough task? Yes, it is. Especially with Oregon coming to town. Especially with, with Washington looming a couple weeks. And I've said this from the beginning. That game next weekend in Corvallis has trap written all over it. So the task will not be easy, but still a high ceiling for this team, potentially. Still a long way to go. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out. I really am. A lot of work to do, though. A lot of work to do. All right, so that's where Stanford seems to sit right about now. Our last bit of business, however, is to see what's trending up, and see who's taking some steps back. It's stock up, stock down. So that means first we start by going stock up. And our stock up player for this week is Austin Jones, the freshman running back. And he looked pretty good. Our first extended look at him this season. And Jones responded, running the Wildcat offense that Stanford unveiled. Uh, in the first half against UCF, with some effectiveness. Had a team-best 65 yards on the ground. And his 35-yard touchdown run, that was pretty neat. You know, highlighted by the pancake block by K.J. Costello. That was pretty cool to see. And I'd imagine that was a big hit in a film study the day after. Now, they're spoon-feeding him the offense. They're, you know, giving him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Every single week, kind of like they did with Chris McCaffrey back in the day, and Bryce Love too. So I'm really, really excited to see where things go for that young man as he continues to perhaps add another facet to Stanford offensively. Look, I think, I think most of us feel pretty good about what Cameron Scarlett can do for the most part. Would love to see Trevor Spates back, but he's been banged up. Uh, so that, that hasn't happened. But Austin Jones, very impressed. 
Very impressed by Austin Jones, especially what he was able to do against UCF. So stock up for Austin Jones. Now, what comes up must go down. And that means we need to go stock down. And I, I think this choice is pretty clear. Or maybe it's not, depending upon whom you ask. But to me, the stock down player is Paulson Adebo. Uh, it, it's hard for me to see how anyone's stock has fallen farther faster for Stanford football over the last couple of weeks, perhaps individually, than his. Came in to the season with major expectations. Played pretty well that first game against Northwestern. But then got beat on a couple of plays against USC and then got beaten again for a few more against UCF. Paulson Adebo is struggling, it seems. Or is he? Here's David Shaw's take on Paulson Adebo's performance against UCF. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's called struggling or just playing against really good receivers. Um, uh, and that's the hard part for, you know, the corner. It's um, like the offensive lineman. You know, if you keep the guy covered the whole game, you know, they don't say your name. You must be doing a pretty good job. Um, but if you give up two plays, which is what Paulson gave up, two plays, you know, now you have a bad game. Um, so two plays out of 60 were not good. That's David Shaw. And, and yeah, sure. Look, you know, those are pretty good receivers that, that Paulson Adebo's playing against. I get that. I understand that completely. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I, I get it. But if he only missed on two plays against UCF, it seemed like more, didn't it? It seemed like more. And even if that's true, he also didn't make the wow plays that we've become used to him giving Stanford. At least one play a game where you look at it and go, whoa, this dude is bringing something to Stanford football that maybe this program has never, ever seen. We haven't seen those plays over the last couple of weeks. We haven't. Not from him. Nor did he give UCF any real reason to go away from him, it seemed. So, even if Paulson Adebo only gave up two big plays, they were still pretty big ones. And he didn't come back with a big pass breakup and didn't come back with a big interception or a key tackle to kind of negate the big plays that he did give up, even if there were only two of them. I know he'll get better. We all know that he's a much better football player, it seems, uh, than, than what he's shown over the last couple of weeks. I can't wait to watch Paulson Adebo take the field again. But as of right now, he's our stock down player. Well, this is obviously going to be Another huge test, another huge task for Stanford coming up this week with the Oregon Ducks coming to Stanford Stadium. The next TreeCast will come your way on Friday morning as we will go deeper into detail on that matchup. Part of our preview will be a conversation with Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson. Here's a little preview of our chat with Michael Wilson. That will come your way on Friday's TreeCast. Puts a pit in my stomach that we're one and two right now because I know the talent that we have on this team. Um, so I would say right now we're just underachieving. Uh, and it sick sickens me at night when I think about it. 
So this is a must win. I, I think this is a must win for us. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go to one and three and be okay with it. So I'm going to do everything in my power to get us to, to go two and two so we can get this thing rolling, hopefully end up ten and two. That's Michael Wilson, and you'll hear our full conversation on Friday's TreeCast. He, he's a sophomore, but he doesn't sound like it. He does not sound like it. And I think you're going to enjoy um, listening to him and his thoughts on the season and how things can be turned around as Stanford tries to come back even to 2-2 two and two on the season. Until then, be sure to rate the show, subscribe to the show, review the show. Check it out on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity, at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. And if you want to have your voice heard, be sure to check it out and hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to have your voice heard on Stanford football or on anything else about this show. Certainly appreciate those of you uh, who have reached out and uh, gotten in your input. I certainly appreciate that in a big-time way. We'll see you next time on Friday morning on the TreeCast. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Thanks for checking us out. We'll see you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity.